Hello, and welcome to Dialogue in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. My name is Dr. Kavita Marawala. I'm a board-certified dermatologist practicing on Long Island in New York, and I own my own private practice. I'm author of several textbooks, including The Business of Dermatology. It's my pleasure today to chat with Mr. Daryl Harris. You may know him from several AAD conventions. And to those of you who don't, he's an international consultant with 35 years of experience working across the globe who specializes in leadership, counseling, and crucial conversations as components of a core leadership strategy. So as somebody in private practice, Mr. Harris, I have to say that I'm really looking forward to our conversation because I think having difficult discussions with employees is actually one of my Achilles heels and probably one that's shared by a lot of private practitioners. Yeah, Dr. Marawala, firstly, please call me Daryl. Oh, good. Please call me Kavitas. We can have a real nice I don't want to to step on anyone's toes and I fully respect you guys. Well, firstly, (laughs) thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to to work with you today and the number of people that I have met at the AAD, just delighted to be able to work. I have great memories of many, many conventions that I've done with you guys from Phoenix through up here into the Chicagoland area. And I know we've got something lined up apparently in August for Tampa. So really, really delighted to be with you and make acquaintances. Yeah, you know, Kiriti, you mentioned that in, in private practice or in any practice, in fact, and I don't think one should restrict this. Of course, we're talking here to dermatologists, whether it be in academia or private practice or research or whatever. Don't ever beat yourself up. Very few people enjoy having crucial conversations. So I think that's a thing. I think we try to avoid the conflict and we're so worried about potential negative outcomes that we sometimes don't think of a potential positive outcome. So let's talk strategy. Let's first talk about employees. Oftentimes in private practice, when you're the physician or in academic practice, when you're the physician, you're considered the leader of your team or the captain of your ship. Right. Let's talk about feedback. Do you think that one should have feedback with their staff on a regular interval? What should that interval be? And how should that look? Are you bringing everybody into room together? Is it over lunch? Is there a defined agenda? Is this something you're keeping in an employee manual for things that were discussed? Walk me through the process. I wish I could give you a simple one-liner. Unfortunately, we're dealing with human beings. And when you're dealing with human beings, it's an art. It's not a science, as you well know. So I'm going to give you a terribly politically phrased answer. And I'm going to say it all depends. And I really think it depends on what your outcome is. So I'm, I'm a great believer. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong, by the way. I'm giving you my opinion that I've seen work particularly well on five continents with my 35 years of experience. I think the more that one can be talking to people in a group type setting, just where we're going, what is the direction of the practice, sharing successes, celebrating success, great guy, well done team. We've made some dramatic changes. We've moved in this COVID environment. We've had to adapt and we've had phenomenal success So I think those conversations and communication we want to have, which is generic to all, are absolutely vital. And I'm not sure that companies have enough of them. 
and particularly in this environment, because they take time. And I understand you guys sell time, and I understand in your environment you're tough and you're running meetings back to back and you're seeing your patients back to back. But I think one has to take time to lead. So I think you have to make that time to just, this is where we're going, this is what we're doing really well. So I'm a huge believer in if you are able to, sitting in a conference room 15 minutes this is what we've done, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to bore you. And do you think that should be like a beginning of the week thing, an end of the week thing? Does that matter? Does the timing of it matter? Or is it just more important that you do it? I think if it's just generic information and we want to celebrate success, I think it can be beginning or end. I truly don't believe there's a right time. I just think as long as it's done. And if you have a meeting, is it okay to talk about some of the failures or do you think that should be done in a smaller group setting? You know, like for example, in our office, we have our Tuesday afternoon meetings. It's the time when every person is actually in the office practicing at the same time. And we go around and, you know, we talk about great things that happened that week, things that were there, we phrase it as could be improved. And then we also ask for feedback from each area of the office. The reason we do that is because, you know, a lot of times the front desk is dealing with things that the back right. nurses have no idea that that goes on. How do you structure that meeting? Is yeah, it- I'm really okay with that. I'm absolutely fine with what you just said there. I think it should get feedback between, and I sort of understand what you guys do. You've got your front office and you've got your back office and you're going, hey, folks, you know, you need to, hypothetically, you know, you need to be notifying us if we're running 10 minutes late or 15 minutes late so we can say to a patient. So I think any kind of generic feedback amongst your your different groupings, I think it's fantastic. I think that's great. I think it's open dialogue. As long as you set some ground rules, this is not a personal attack. You know, Susan can't be attacking George or Mary can't be attacking Raj or whatever it might be. We, we just cannot be doing that. So I think you're living in a generic environment. Hey, guys, what's working well? What's not working so well? Hey, front office, what could we be doing a little more effectively? Hey, back office, what can we be doing a little more effectively? So I think that's really, really healthy. And I would highly recommend that as long as it's solution-based and not blame-based. And I think that's one of our biggest challenges. I think the minute it becomes blame-based, then you're not going to get the benefit because then it becomes personal and then it's he said, she said. So I think it's got to be fact-based and I think people have got to give examples. I think it also depends on how sensitive the people are in your team. But, you know, I'm a little harsh on that because sensitivity, if it's real, hey, folks, we're not here to attack the individual. This is an expectation we're putting on the table. Yeah, I mean, one of the strategies I use is, and we're all here as a team to deliver patient care. So it's not really about me. It's not about you. It's about the end person who is the patient. So my experiences with private practice, many of my colleagues are employed physicians. Right. It's a very different dynamic. So you're an employed physician and you may be at a particular office which is owned and is part of many offices owned by a venture capital firm or a PE firm or something like that. So now you are the employee. At what point or how do you give constructive feedback and or responses to management if you see that there are things going a little bit sideways in your own individual office without seeming like you're the employee who's always complaining, but also being able to keep a a management sort of level within your office? And my follow-up question to that is that a lot of times office managers are given a ton of power by corporations 
that like truly they are the boss of that location. And as right. a physician, that can feel very disenfranchising. Talk to me about those two strategies. Please. I think the first one is if you're not, there are two questions, so I'm going to break this up. I yeah. think the first one is if you are not the boss, let's just use that as a phrase. I really don't like that word, but let's use it. I can't think of anything better at the moment. It's not your own private practice. As you correctly said, you're working for a large conglomerate, a venture capital company, and you are a paid employee. You are not signing the check. Correct. <laughs> but you have an office manager or you have someone you need to report into and you clearly see that something's going wrong and this individual office manager or corporate doesn't see it. Is that the first question? Yes. And how do you handle that? Well, once again, it's really easy for me to say this because I don't have to do it. Well, I've done it many times in my life. I think the most important thing that one's got to be looking at the career is you can't make it personal. So you have to put it on the table in like a coaching environment and say, hey, look, guys, I'll give you a hypothetical. I like to work anecdotally. So let's just say hypothetically, you've got someone, this is going to be so easy to explain. You've got someone in your front office who is your one of your, your reception people, front office people, who's just not really giving the kind of patient care you think you'd like to give. They're efficient. People come in, they check their charts, they check them in, they get the copay, and they ask them to go and sit down. But they're not creating that energy. They're not creating that vibe. They're not creating that buzz. And they come across as being a little rude, hypothetically, and you're not in a position to be able to address it because you don't have authority of them. I would always phrase it in such a way that, look, this is not about me and Mary. This is not about me and John. But John's current behavior is detrimental to the business. It's compromising the integrity of the business. It's hurting the business. And that's why I really believe I think you need to be looking out for it. I think you have to show benefit to them. It can't be about you. Perhaps I can share an anecdotal story. If this is too personal, we can always talk about it later. But as I said, my wife works in the medical environment. And a couple of years ago, there was a situation that my wife was going through all the charts and people, there were just so many errors and it was just acute carelessness. Now, she's an employee. Okay. She has no authority, but she's very committed to what she does. So she walked into her boss. I'd never give the name in a million years and said to him, Dr. X, look. It's really unacceptable. The people in the counseling section here are just not doing their jobs properly and it's compromising the practice. And unfortunately, he took it really the wrong way. He said, with all due respect, please don't tell me how to run my practice. It's extremely right. successful. Thank you. So my wife came home a little distraught and said, well, how should I have handled that? So I said, well, let's role play. Yeah. And she sort of looked at me and I said, okay, I'm going to be you and you're going to be the doctor. Don't misinterpret that, please. And I just said, you know, or you go to walk in and go, look, Dr. X, quite honestly, this has got nothing to do with me, but I do care about this practice. And I need to let you know that I've gone through the charts and I've already picked up about $18,000 worth of errors of unclaimed stuff through medical insurance. I just think you should know that. And it was just, it took the emotion out of the equation and it just put fact. Now, when it's money, it's a little easier. Yeah. But it, but it, <laughs> But it just put fact on the table and there was nothing. This was an emotional person complaining about another department. This was someone strategically looking at the business going, we've got a flaw here and it's hurting the business. So I think if you can drive your direction in that way and you can't do it emotionally, you've got to really think about how you're going to do it. Well, let's, let's talk so, about that word, okay. that word emotionally, because I do believe that 
different genders begin conversations differently. For example, I have found myself and many of my female colleagues will start conversations saying, I feel, or, you know, I think it would be really nice if there's a lot of qualifying emotions and words that are used. What is the best way to approach phrases and constructive criticism? Do you say, this is what I notice? This is what I see. So like sort of fact-based as you're saying, should you say things like this makes me feel like I'm not part of the team or is there really no place for that sort of emotional phrase? I know it's a tough question because I think it's something that we often do subconsciously. And then the next part of that is, okay, you've gone to the head. At what point do you go to that leadership team or do you, and I think that we all do this, we sort of let things build and build and build and build. And then you have the meeting and it's just a supercharged, angry meeting oh. because you feel so disgruntled. Let me do it once again. You've asked me two questions. I think the first one, I'm a big believer in acronyms and I think you can practice. You see, I believe you can practice interpersonal skills. In fact, I have no doubt you can practice interpersonal skills. And what you've got to learn to become is a little assertive. And the definition of assertion is I respect me and I respect you. So I use a very simple acronym when we have that. And your, your people, perhaps, you know, okay. the folks who are going to listen to this chat can, can go ahead and do it. They can always contact me anytime they like. They know that. I've, I've made that clear to the AAD. But it's a simple acronym called SBIN, not to be confused with spin selling. Okay, but it's a wonderful methodology to put on the table. So all you do, your S stands for, you state the actual situation. So you don't say, I feel, or I think, or this is offending me, or this is offending. You just come in and you nice and fact-based, and you put it on the table. You state what the actual situation is. So let me give you once again another scenario. And because my wife works in the medical fraternity, I seem to be doing this all the time, all right, with her. So they unfortunately have a lady who works, and she's with a different practice now. They have a lady who works in their practice who is just extremely difficult to work with. She is ratty. She's rude. She's somewhat obnoxious. She's terribly insecure. She can pass inappropriate comments, and she's got to stick her nose into everything. So if my wife, the patient, that works. Right. You call that the sort of the person who's like the dead weight in the room is they can just take something that's floating and just drag it right down. Oh, they have an amazing ability to make the most upbeat party a disaster. And my wife said to me, Daryl, I really need to go <laughs> and talk to the doctor because he's such a nice guy. This is a new orthodontist who, who owns a, and he is a lovely guy, but he hates conflict. So we just sat down and I just said, state the facts and hear the facts. Dr. X this person nameless, right? These are the current behaviors she's exhibiting straight on the table. So that's the situation. Then what you want to do is you want to drill down a little further and you want to discuss what problems is that creating? So the current situation, and I don't want to take ages on this, but it's such an important piece when you're trying to set it up. So the current situation is ABC. Right. What problems is that creating for the practice? Right. Boom, boom, boom. If this continues, what will the implications be to our business? So that's your I. And then your N, if this continues, what does it actually cost the practice? And it's not necessarily dollar-wise. It's reputation. It's branding. It's compromising. 
and it might be losing patience. So it's what we call funneling. And, and I'm getting a little technical now. And of course, you can't see. You're going to be, I wish I could tell you it's mine. It's not. But it's such, uh, it is, <laughs> no, no, I've, I've never tried it. So that's because, okay. <laughs> but it's such a, a well-recognized problem-solving methodology where it just takes the emotion out of the equation. So you can literally go, here's the situation, fact-based. This is, these are the problems it's creating. Right. These are the implications if it keeps right. going. And quite honestly, this is how it's going to hurt the practice if it continues. I teach that all the time. And it was quite interesting. My wife came to me and said, gee, Daryl, that worked. I said, well, what did you expect? Because you can't argue fact. Now, getting back to your second part of your question, the worst thing I would want you to do is to ever get into a meeting and let your emotion take over. Because then we've gone from what we call passive behavior right. To aggressive behavior. And that sort of goes kitty corner. We, we go yeah. sublime ridiculous. We've all heard that. We wait and we wait and then one day the service explodes. And, and then you, yeah. right. you know, Doc, and suddenly be accused of being the crazy person. And very often what, what yeah. gets us going right. is the smallest issue in the world, which in, on its own is a complete non-issue. But we've just lumped the whole lot together, and all of a sudden, that is just the tinderbox. I think you're right on that, yeah. especially during this pandemic. You know, I think so many of us have been just struggling to keep up open practices to hope that we our schedules are full, to take care of patients, to try not to contract the virus, that your emotions, you're wearing doubled masks or N95s, and you're just sort of at the end of your rope all the time. How do you suggest given that it's the pandemic and by the way i love that spin method i think it's wonderful advice if you need to meet with management a lot of people are not doing in-person meetings is it better to have a phone conversation or is it better to speak via zoom so you can see the person there's obviously always something lost in not having a face-to-face -face yeah, management face -face. situation <clears throat> For me, first prize is obviously live, but that right now, is, we, we've got a problem with that, so we, we'll discount that one. Okay. I can tell you, the so I'll go best prize, and then I'll go last prize, and then we'll work in the middle. And the worst prize is please never, ever do it via email because email mm. is so open to interpretation. You've got to be a really, really good wordsmith to put words together. That's interesting because I always feel like people say you should write it down. Write it down so that it's recorded that this was your specific uh, complaint or not complaint, but, you know, suggestion and then document, document, document. I feel like that's okay. what we're always told. So that's interesting that you say that. So when I say don't do it via email, I'm not saying don't use email. So this is important to understand. You're making a really, really mm. good point. I don't want you to address the issue initially via email because it's open to interpretation and we've even yeah. seen it interdepartmentally, you know. So I send a message to Dr. Marawala and I'm a little grumpy, so I capitalize something and I bold it and I get my grammar wrong somewhere along the line and you interpret it a certain way and then you send it. <laughs> yeah, which is also definitely a generational thing because I've definitely received emails where people are capping Absolutely. phrases and I'm like why are yeah, you really yelling <laughs> what's going so on my suggestion would be yeah. if it could be contentious 
in this current environment to try and see people's faces. Because I know a lot of you have done some work with Marshila, who's very well known, the lady who does the communication stuff. And she talks about the fact that only 7% of the meaning of your message is actually in the words. The rest is tone, energy, and body language. So my suggestion is always if you can see faces, you can pick up innuendo, you can see rolling of eyes, you know, you, you, that's really important. So that would be my suggestion. However, yeah. and this is the point you made, which is so important. Yes, summarize and follow up after the event with an email. You want to have something, but have it after the event, not before the event. So your summary after the event hypothetically would be, Dr. Morawana, thank you so much for our chat we had this morning. We covered the following areas. Thank you so much for understanding my concern. And these were our agreed actions. Put it in after the event, not before the event. And I always say in any coaching and counseling environment, if it's contentious, talk to each other. If it's good news, send an email. Okay, it's good news. Yeah, I think that's true. I think we always think of conversations as being ones that you have to deliver bad news, but the good news is equally important to hear. So that brings me to my next question. Now, I could talk to you for hours. Do you think that it's better to have conversations started by your office manager or better to tackle them head on as the physician? Okay, so once again, I've got to give you a depends answer then. If you are wanting your office manager to run your practice, basically all the non-medical, the day-to-day running of the place, disciplinary action, I hate using this word, but it really revolves around that person's job description. So my recommendation would be hypothetically, if you've got an office manager and you want them to run the practice so that you can focus solely on what you do, which is brilliant patient care, whatever you specialize in, whether it's pediatrics or whether it's whatever. Okay, I don't have to go into that melanoma, blah, 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 blah. Then my suggestion would be always make sure it's the responsibility of the office manager to have the difficult conversations because you want them to manage your practice. Because if you do it, unfortunately, you almost question the authority because the people turn around and say, well, I thought John was the manager. I thought Maggie was the manager. Why are you talking to me? Okay, so let me ask you my my follow-up to that, which is, you know, a lot of times, and I've worked for other practices, you have office managers who manage the office. And they have the difficult conversations, but then it's almost like they set the tone for the culture of the place. And it's hard to find an office manager who's going to be both kind and upbeat and stern. And I know that's what an office manager does, but sometimes I feel like, you know what, if your name is on the door, you have to put on your big girl pants and, you know, get in there and do the, do the dirty work. So what do you, what do you say about that? I think, I think the most important thing is you just don't want to undermine the authority of the office manager. Oh, um, right. Sure. Definitely. That's the most important thing because, you know, it's a little bit, I, I use very simple analogies as you've obviously picked up. You know, it's like the kid who goes and asks mom and then mom gives bad news and then they go ask dad and dad gives good news. And then you've got this huge... Let me know what it's like in my house then. <laughs> <laughs> but it happens because children are really smart. They manipulate. We're raising our three-year-old grandson and he does it to us because of my daughter's situation. But I think you don't want to undermine. And, and I think that's the really important piece. 
having a difficult conversation. We don't want as the manager to be rude. It's got to be fact-based because in order to do that, we've got to make sure we've diagnosed on the front end. And that's why I love working in the medical fraternity when it comes to conversations like this, because you folks would never in a million years ever prescribe something unless you've diagnosed, unless you want to get struck off the roll, blah, 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 which is a whole aside. You think that if you're going to have a difficult conversation with an employee, it's best to have the manager present when that's happening? Like what about the, you know, having more than one person in the room thing? I have absolutely no harm in having two people in the room. Uh, that's, that can be fine. I think it all depends on how egregious it is. And I think you've got to go back to doing that diagnosing. And that's really what I want to emphasize with crucial conversations. You have to diagnose on the front end and you have to look at intent. So what was the intent on the front end? And once you understand intent, then you can determine what kind of conversation I'm going to have. So hypothetically, you could have a very friendly, happy-go-lucky RN working with you. I'm not going to even be gender specific. It doesn't matter. Yeah. He or she is just wonderful. They bounce in. They laugh. Yeah. They're fun. But every now and then, you're just having a look. And they might just be crossing the line as to what's professional and what's yeah. not professional. Maybe just a little, yeah. maybe just a little too cool. It's what, right. But they're lovely human beings. Well, then I would never have you sitting on that as the, the practice owner. I get the manager to say, listen, it's, it's just coaching. And that's where I'd use the old, the, hey, listen, we love your energy. We love your passion. And then make it specific. But look, the comment you passed to Daryl yesterday when he came in saying, gosh, we haven't seen you for a year and we can clearly see that. Just be careful of that. You know, little where, where they think they might be funny. So I think if it's a coaching intervention and the person's got good attitude, but we just need to point a few things out, then I don't think that's a big problem. I think where it's okay for both of you and where we're getting to a point where this is probably going to get documented, mm -hmm. where, where you're going to get written up, you have to understand this, this can't continue. I, I don't care how good you are as an RN, but you won't behave that way and it continues. And that's the person who knows how to do it but chooses not to. Yes. So that is going to bring us to my last question, which is after you have the difficult conversation, after you have the conversation about corrections that need to happen, right. how long do you give the employee or the person to correct it before you say, okay, is it two conversations? Is it conversation document, another conversation, and then you know, potential dismissal, where do the conversation, the documentation and the consequences flow together? Well, I think there's a legal aspect and I know every state is different. So one would have to, and I'm not going to give any legal advice because I'm not qualified right. to do that. But once again, I think it, it, it's, it's what is the desired outcome. So I think if it's a coaching initiative and the person's got really good attitude and they're trying hard I personally have always kept those people a bit more slack because yeah. I just like them. I'm, I'm an A for effort kind of person myself. Absolutely. They come in every day and they're lovely and they bring a smile to your face, Doc, and, and the patients love them and they're a little clumsy every now and then as long as it's not compromising, you know, hygiene or anything like right. that. If it's a coaching intervention, I'll give them a little, a little more because that's a skilling thing. If it's a behavioral intervention, and that's, there's a big difference between the yeah. two here. And this is where I sort of put a little bit of psychology on. If it's a coaching skilling intervention and the attitude's really good, I, I cut those people a bit of slack. I really do. Okay. Come on. Let's keep working. If it's a behavioral issue and they know how to do it, right. 
And now they're choosing not to do it. Because mm. now they're taking you on. Right. Now right. they're actually right. going, what are you going to do about this? I know people can't right. see what I've just done, but I'm thumbing my nose at you. He's thumbing his nose at me. <laughs> Those are the people, then I'm a great believer. Here it goes, Daryl, with another one of his little methodologies. I'm a great believer in the one, two, three. Okay. okay. And that's not three strikes. If it happens once, it's an accident. Okay. If it happens twice, it's a coincidence. Okay. If it happens three times, it's a pattern. Right. And the minute you have patterns, that's when you've got to be sitting down and going, this is not happening again. Right. And that's right. when you've got to have the courage of your conviction. And that's a big challenge for many, many people. They'll talk about it. And then when push comes to shove, they go, you know what? They still sort of add value because they're really good at prepping for, for a minor surgery or they're really good at prepping for a biopsy or they're so good no, at giving. Nobody wants to be in conflict, right? People who thrive in conflict, something's wrong with them. But I think that that's a very good point. And as you're saying it, I'm thinking, right, because if you go back to your earlier analogy that there is a statement, there is a problem, what are the intended consequences? Uh, so if you don't address those things, it's not emotional. You have an employee or a person in your practice who's trying to bring the whole thing down. That it's, it, yeah, love it. I you love know, we, coaching. We, we can talk about this forever, but I think what's just so important, one of the mistakes we often make, we often make the mistake of saying, I don't want to offend this person. So I don't want to offend John. I'm scared I'm going to have conflict with John. But what you have to consider as a consumer professional and a leader in your practice is what effect is John having on your other people in your team and what effect is John having on your patients and compromising your business? Because now what happens is we say, I really don't upset John. But you've got four other people in your team going, why is John getting away with this? Yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, yeah. you know where you are, your credibility takes a pounding. Yes. And then your good people start going, well, if John can do it, so can I. Or your good people start saying, I'm just going to leave. So I always look at it from a teaming perspective. And, and I've run big organizations, always been in the consulting industry. And I never, ever had a problem in letting an individual go who knew how to do it but chose not to. I had no problem with that because those people have an effect on the bigger picture. Daryl, thank you so much for your time. I'm sure our listeners have just been able to glean so much information from your coaching today. I know that listening to you and having this dialogue certainly has given me notes and tips to bring back to my own life as a practicing physician. So on behalf of the AAD and Dialogues in Dermatology, thank you for your time. And to our listeners, I hope that you've enjoyed our conversation. Great. Dr. Marawala, to you and all your, your listeners, thank you so much. One closing comment. Please have difficult conversations early. They are not like red wine. They do not get better. It gets worse. <laughs> well said. Please look after yourself. Take care. It was a privilege working with you folks. Thank you so same. much. Same, same, same. Bye-bye. Cheerio. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure.
Thank you.